Here we go. Yes, you're listening to Rumination Thursday of Law and Gospel on this December the 17th in the year of our Lord, 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is Wes Reimnitz, who I'm able to tell that this is the last time he's going to be on the air with me. For the year, oh, maybe? Oh, in 2020. That's right. 2020. <laughs> yeah. You haven't yeah, gotten next, rid of me yet. <laughs> next Wednesday is our last live broadcast. That's December the 23rd. And we will not be back on the air until January the 7th. Uh, there's a break then for those on KFUO. And guess who I'll have on with me on January the 7th? It's a Thursday, Wes. Oh, it'll be me again? It'll be you again. <laughs> oh, so yeah, you get the last of me and the first of me, huh? That's right. You're the last of KFUO and the first of KFUO. <laughs> but I'm going to have my last program next Wednesday. I'm going to do something a little different being the last program. Normally, I do CFW Walther and... Uh, we're, we're getting near the end of that, maybe about four more weeks, but I'm going to wait till January. But what we're going to be talking about today really comes from a woman in one of the congregations that I've been serving. It was at the end of an Advent service, and then I usually give announcements when the service is over and ask if anyone has any comments or questions and she said, I had a friend of mine, a woman, who died. She believed in Jesus, but had not been baptized. Will she go to heaven? And I answered, the thief on the cross. And she said, no, no, this is a woman that I knew. <laughs> and that's right, the congregation kind of laughed. I said, no, the point I'm making Remember the thief on the cross? What did right. he say to Jesus? He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, And today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And I said to her, was he baptized? And the answer is no. No. So we believe, teach, and confess that baptism is not a prerequisite for going to heaven. So this leads us to the question, why should a Christian be baptized if it is not necessary in order to get to heaven? And you know me, I always like to find some kind of analogy that people are somewhat familiar with in order to make a comparison between what baptism is and what that analogy is. Now, when I spoke to you, there is a gift that a person gets with the sacrament of baptism, and what was that gift you said? Right, well, an extra gift of the Holy Spirit. They already had the Holy Spirit when they come to faith in Christ, but uh, in the Pentecost, in the Pentecost uh, that we saw in, in Acts, there was a more of the Holy Spirit given out. Yes. Uh, in fact, the early church 
would not commune someone unless they had received the Holy Spirit in a way through the sacrament of baptism. So mm. first came baptism, then they would commune them. And the reason for that is kind of clear because the Holy Spirit is now within us and he's holy and therefore only a holy thing can enter into us, which is the body and blood of Christ. So I was trying to figure out how can we make this clearer to people? And I decided after some research to use marriage to make the point. For example, when a couple marries, is it a prerequisite that they have to exchange rings during the ceremony in order to be married? What's the answer? No. That's correct. I've had, maybe you have also, had couples who cannot afford a ring, but they want to wait till after the wedding ceremony in case they receive sufficient monetary gifts to purchase ring, a rings. So let's say about three weeks after they're married, they go to a jewelry or a department store and light the rings, and they may even put the rings on at that location. Does that make them finally married? No. No. Uh, go ahead. Because that took place during the marriage ceremony when they made promises to one another. So what I'm talking about is what is found actually in our hymnal. We have a rite of holy matrimony. And here's what the pastor leads the couple to say, their vows. I so-and-so take you so-and-so to be my wedded wife or husband and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to, pe to pe cherish till death us do part according to God's holy word, will. And I pledge to you my faithfulness. Now, there is a part that talks about the rings, if they're going to be exchanged. And here's what the pastor says about that. Almighty Father, you have generously created all things to serve us for our good. Send your blessing upon this couple who shall wear these rings as a constant reminder of their marital fidelity. Grant that by your mercy they may live godly, gladly, and faithfully in this holy estate. So finally, the pastor is going to pronounce them husband and wife. But here's what it says. Now that the two have committed themselves to each other in holy matrimony, have given themselves to each other by their solemn pledges, and have declared the same before God and these witnesses, I pronounce them to be husband and wife in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting in that particular paragraph, there's no mention of the rings. 
there's no mm. need for rings to be present. The reason that the pastor pronounces them to be husband and wife is because of the promises that they have made to each other. And the rings were said to be a constant reminder of their marital mm. fidelity. And not only for themselves, but also for others. For example, I don't know if you've seen a movie where a man may go to a bar to see about getting a date and he sees a woman he might be interested in, but then he sees a ring on her finger. He realizes that she is married and hopefully looks to someone else for a date. And how many movies have you seen where a woman married decides to have an affair? What's the first thing that she does? Oh, it takes off the ring. That's right. She removes her wedding ring to make it appear that she is available. Therefore, a wedding ring is not the cause of the marriage, but it becomes a token, a sign, and signal to others that this is a married person who has made specific promises to another. And that's also about baptism. Well, wouldn't it be more than just a, a sign and a token? How so? Baptism. Well, in, in the fact of, of what baptism gives when it's connected with the Word of God, that it creates a new person in Christ. Yes, but it does not occur because of the water. I'm comparing the ring to the water. Uh, when, when a person is baptized, it can be compared to God giving you a ring as a token, sign, and signal. In fact, baptism is called in our confessions a sign or a token from God about his promises to you. And, and there you mm. go to Luther's catechism. How can water do such great things? He says, certainly not just the water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things along with the faith, which trusts this word of God in the water. So there's a very significant reason why we encourage adults who believe in Jesus Christ still to be baptized. And why is that? If they're already saved, why be baptized? You made one mention that they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. But there's well, another thing. We're made, made new and alive and uh, given the forgiveness of sins or the remission of sins. Yes, and that is the sign of baptism. So that when a person is wearing the wedding ring, that's a sign to others that they have made promises to one another. Whereas in baptism, the promises are more so from God. If you're not baptized, how do you know you're saved? Hmm. 
that would be if you trust in the promises of the of the gospel. But then well, then you you get a little followed up uh, on whether you have historical faith or saving faith. That's an excellent answer. That prior to baptism, you need to rely on your saving faith, believing the promises. But boy, does the law ever do damage to us because we even confess that we sin by thought, word, and deed, and that there is nothing we can do to release ourselves from that sin and be forgiven. So if you have weak faith, and you and I have met people with weak faith in the church who are Christians who wonder, am I really going to be going to heaven? Right. Well, I got a question for you. Because you said that uh, we were going to discuss baptism and Christmas. Have we gotten to the point where you make the Christmas connection? No, not yet. Uh, There's the point I'm still trying to make here, that what baptism does is it now gives you a clear assurance of salvation apart from your faith. In other words, what does Luther say when asked, are you saved? He says, I'm baptized. Now, that's really important. I used to say I was baptized. And then I read, and maybe it was you who corrected me, I am baptized. And why is that an assurance? Because like a ring, wedding ring, it Mm. shows me that there were trustworthy promises of God's word connected to the water of baptism. And therefore, when I'm baptized, I can have an assurance. Uh, That's the fourth part of the sacrament of baptism. It indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires. And that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. And then he quotes Romans 6, which I think is the best passage for baptism. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You see, Mm -hmm. here's the problem. Jesus died on the cross and left us many benefits, but... How do we receive those benefits? We receive them, as you said, through faith. But a lot of times we think our faith is weak and we wonder whether heaven is our home. But Hmm. once you're baptized, then Romans 6 says, in baptism, it's as though you are put on the cross with Christ. And therefore, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, you too will live a new life. And that means in heaven. And therein lies, too, we've always talked about the means of grace. 
God's way of bringing his grace through us, which is through word, Lord's Supper, and baptism. Yes. And when we were talking about, you've already brought it up. How would you relate this to Christmas? Have you got any ideas here? The third Christmas story. You know what the third Christmas story is? I'm not sure I know what the first and second are. Well, normally, uh, a lot of churches and websites will quote the birth of Christ from Matthew and from uh, Luke. Luke. But uh, I'm thinking of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was was with God, and the Word was God. And a little later it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here we have the Word connected with baptism, but it's also connected with us at, at Christmas time. Yes. Yeah. Why is that the third story? Because <laughs> we always think that. of the other... Well, I don't know. I always grew up listening to Matthew and and Luke, and and there it sits, just just as clear as a bell for John. And that John one, you know, when you were talking about it, just seemed to fit with baptism. Yes, uh, there's no doubt about it because it's in John that Jesus talks about receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit by means of water and the Word. So remember John three, sixteen, and he has that conversation with, who is it, Nicodemus? Nicodemus, yeah, he told Nicodemus, yep. you know, you had to be born again of the Spirit. And how do I do that? Do I get back in my mother's womb? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and he said, God so loved the world. Exactly. Now, I thought of something else, and okay. I'll say it's the first story. The first uh, story, okay. Yes. Uh, particularly from Luke, which just so happens to be the gospel reading for this Sunday, where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells mm. her that she will be with a child, and she, of course, questions, how can that be? since I have not had any relations with a man. And what does the angel Gabriel say? That the Holy Spirit shall overcome you. Yes. And so we believe this in our creed. We started mm. off conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now, what's the token or the sign that Mary receives to know that the Gabriel angel is telling the truth. Isn't that where she sent him to Elizabeth? Well, Elizabeth does say, yes, the mother of my Lord. Right. But there's something else that happens to Mary. She becomes pregnant. Oh, well, yeah, that goes without saying. No, it, it should yeah. be said because that's the assurance Earth. that she has that the promises of God through Gabriel are mm -hmm. coming true. And you already mentioned it, that, and the word became flesh. 
yes. and dwelt among us. See, that's the significance. God always attaches a lot of times visible means. Like in John 6, he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Now, the Lord's Supper doesn't use the word flesh. It uses the word body. But it becomes a sign and token of our receiving what Jesus is talking about in a visible, concrete way, even though mm. through faith we have received that same gift. You know, that's, that's uh, Philippians 2. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and made in the likeness of man, and found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's excellent. Yeah. That's, it's all over the place, yeah. Yeah, everywhere you look, how do we know for sure what Isaiah said, that the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all? We have the visible cross, and what are the first words it appears that Jesus says from the cross? My God. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yes. And so mm -hmm. we look to the cross as an assurance of the promises of the Old Testament that God regards his own son as a sinner, which took place at his baptism, in order that he might take upon himself the sins of the whole world. In fact, um, I, I used to have a sign at the church I was at for 28 years, and this is the one I like putting up at Christmas. He was born in order to die. Ooh, that's good. Well, it's it's also spoken spoken about in Galatians chapter four, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that He might redeem those under the law. Yes, born under the law meant that He had to obey the law, and He did. And then you have. The glorious exchange Luther talks about. What is that glorious exchange? The robes of righteousness of Christ are, are taken from Christ and given to us by Christ. And he takes on to us the robes of sin and that he does in our baptism. That's excellent. Yes. So baptism becomes now a visible sign of the promises. But... A person does not need to be baptized in order to be saved like the thief on the cross. And in fact, everybody in the Old Testament, like Abraham, who believed the promises, they were all saved apart from baptism. Well, Abraham believed and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Exactly. And Abraham had to depend on his faith, believing that, whereas we now have the gift of baptism. Baptism is our wedding ring that we can look at and know that promises were made, and not the promises of us to God, but the promises of God to us. That's the new covenant where he will no longer remember our sins and forgive our iniquities. And the word itself is connected with baptism, which gives it its power. And it reminds us again in John 1, the word came, became flesh and dwelt among us. The very word is Christ. 
So during this Christmas season, it's important that sermons not just give joy to God for the birth of our Savior, but the purpose of his birth was that he would die. In fact, remember the wise men came. What was one of the gifts they gave? Frankincense and mirth. Yes, and that, one of those, was embalming fluid. Yes. Well, can you imagine Mary's, what, why do they give me embalming fluid? fluid? And of course, that was because they realized in reading the Old Testament, Psalm 22, pierced in hands and feet. So, there you go. That's how we're going to end at least Rumination Thursday, tying your baptism to Christmas. And you haven't decided what we're talking about when we get back, have you? No, but I tell you what, I I thought this was a great subject because uh, there's very little written on it. Tomorrow will be Open Mic Friday. I'm Tom Baker, Wes Reimnitz. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.